Welcome to Pro Life in 7 Minutes, the show where I spend over 20 minutes teaching you how you can persuade a pro choice person in only 7. I'm your host, Katherine Burrow. I'm the co founder and executive director of the Abortion Dialogue Academy, also known as ADA. Let's dive into today's episode. So, today's episode is going to be building on concepts we talked about in last week's episode. So, if you're new to the podcast, I'm going to recommend that you listen to that first episode before diving into today's content. So today, I'm going to teach you one of the most fundamental things you have to do if you want even a shot at persuading a pro-choice person to be pro-life in seven minutes. And that is, you have to keep your conversation calm. Now, calm is typically not a word used to describe conversations about abortion. That's why almost every new college volunteer I get is often nervous about their first conversation because to some extent, they're afraid that they're going to get yelled at because that's all we see, yelling. You turn on the news. People are yelling at each other about this topic. You go to the March for Life. Pro-choice protesters are yelling at pro-life people and vice versa. You go to the comment section in social media and people have their caps lock on and they're using 800 exclamation points. It's all we see. It's just yelling. But I'm here to tell you that a calm conversation is one common denominator between every conversation where myself or any ADA volunteer has ever persuaded a pro-choice person. One thing that all those conversations all have in common is that they were always calm. In fact, they're often one step better than calm. They're often agreeable. They're enjoyable. It's an interesting exchange of ideas. They're smiling and laughing, and it's an overall really positive exchange. Now, I know this concept might sound kind of duh, but I hope it's mind-blowing because in my experience, an untrained pro-life person rarely, if ever, naturally creates a calm conversation on this topic. I know I didn't. When I was in high school, before I'd ever received any pro-life training, I used to burst out crying any time I tried to talk to my pro-choice friends about abortion. And sometimes that crying would turn into yelling. I was just like, but, but, but it's, it's a baby. How can you kill babies? <laughs> now, for the record, um, I persuaded no one with these outbursts. They all just refused to have a second conversation with me on the topic. And I honestly don't blame them. However, one thing I want to note is that the person who really needs to be calm in the conversation is actually not you. It's the pro-choice person. I want to say that again. The person who needs to remain calm is the pro-choice person. I remember I had a roommate in college who, whenever you got into a fight with her, she would insult you, but in like a really monotone voice. Like you'd come to her and be like, hey, you know, could you not eat my cereal? And she'd be like, totally deadpan. It's just cereal. It's not a big deal. You're just being dramatic. So then as the conflict escalated, she would use the fact that you were getting upset by her words while she was like staying calm as proof that she had the higher ground. Like, I'm not upset. I don't know why you're upset. I'm calm. Now, don't get me wrong. You should also be calm in your conversation. Um, My point is, though, that calmly escalating the conversation is just as unhelpful as escalating it through yelling. I've witnessed a lot of conversations where the pro-life person stays calm the entire time, so to speak, 
but they're provoking the pro-choice person with their calm words until the pro-choice person is completely hysterical. And that is equally unproductive and unpersuasive. That's why it's essential that the pro-choice person remains calm. Now, the reason it's essential that you keep your conversations calm is because when emotions are high, rationale is low. Think about the last time you were really angry or really upset about something. So I come from a really competitive family. Uh, Board games, they always end in a fight. Always, 100% of the time. And I remember there's this one time, I was probably like a freshman in college, and my brother and I got into a huge fight over some dice card game we were playing. And I remember just being so angry that I couldn't even make a cohesive insult. My emotions were so heightened that I couldn't think critically enough to insult my brother, yet alone think about, you know, whether or not he'd actually been cheating or had really done anything wrong in the game we were playing. Now, this is true of any scenario. Like if you ever watch a video where a person's like really upset or agitated, it's really common that they struggle to string sentences together coherently. When emotions are high, our cognitive abilities, our rationale is low. That's why that common marriage advice exists. You know, the classic, if you're fighting with your spouse or a significant other, calm down before you try and discuss things. Because if you're trying to have a conversation in the heat of the moment, you're going to say stuff you don't mean, you're going to exaggerate the problem, and you're not really going to hear the other person out. Now, all of this is important because ADA's seven-minute argument involves using reason to persuade a pro-choice person of the pro-life position. So if people can't think or reason clearly when they're agitated or upset, then an upset pro-choice person is not going to be mentally able to hear, process, and consider our arguments. I want to repeat that because it's so critical. When people are upset, they cannot think clearly. So an upset pro-choice person cannot reason well and really consider the pro-life position. My brother had this girlfriend in college who, when she heard what I about what I did for a living and that I could persuade pro-choice people, she thought I must be, you know, brainwashing people, uh, which is funny. I wish I had that superpower. That'd be pretty cool. Um, but the truth is the opposite is actually true. You know, brainwashing would be emotional manipulation, but the ADA seven-minute argument is a hundred percent reason-based. And people cannot think clearly when they're upset. So if the project person is upset, they're not going to hear our reason-based argument. They're not really going to hear a word you say, and you're definitely not going to persuade them. Now, this should actually be really great news for you because I don't know about you, but I don't really like being yelled at. Don't get me wrong. I am not afraid to be yelled at by a pro-choice person, but being yelled at is not the norm with our approach. So I had a volunteer, his name is Luke, come speak with me at a presentation I was giving this past November. And when we got to the Q&A part of the event, someone in the audience asked him what his toughest or worst conversation was. And Luke shared about a conversation he had had with a group of women and gender study majors. One part of the ADA methodology is that we strongly discourage conversations with multiple pro-choice people at one time. Now, Luke knew this, but it was kind of like a weird one-off situation where he got drug into the conversation. But he did admit, unsurprisingly, that his worst conversation happened when he deviated from our approach. 
And for the record, this was not even by most people's standards, a bad conversation. Like it was a little long. It was a little frustrating. The women got a little short with him. He got a little short with them. By most people's standards was actually probably a very, very good conversation. It was just a bad conversation for Luke. Um, And then right after he shared that story, another person asked, how often do these tense conversations like that one happen? And Luke responded that that was the only tense conversation he'd ever had. Now, Luke has presented ADA's seven-minute argument to 94 pro-choice people and changed 30 minds. He is not, by any definition of the word, a new volunteer. Yet Luke was able to have almost 100 conversations and all of them, except for one, be calm because of this next nugget of truth that the tone of your conversation is 95% of the time completely within your control. That's right. The tone of your conversation is completely within your control. Now, don't get me wrong. Abortion is a controversial subject. There are some people, no matter how skilled you are, that you cannot have a calm conversation with them on this topic. It's just too touchy for them. Maybe they're post-abortive. Maybe they're just an emotional or aggressive personality type. Whatever the reason, I'd say that maybe this is 5% of the time, although it's probably a lot less than that, but I'll say 5% of the time, it is impossible for you to keep a conversation calm with this person. And in those rare cases, I actually teach our volunteers to just go ahead and end the conversation. Because like I said at the beginning, if the purchase person is not calm, you cannot persuade them. So if most people, if 95% of people are capable of having a calm conversation on this topic, why do so many conversations still become heated? Well, there's three reasons for this. The first reason conversations become heated is because of the strategy the pro-life person is using. Some strategies or environments just naturally escalate things. Luke's conversation is actually a really great example of this. Group dynamics make controversial conversations more tense. It's because the audience raises the stakes of the conversation. People don't want to seem dumb in front of their friends, so they're naturally more on edge and agitated. Luke probably could have spoken to each of those pro-choice women individually and had a much better, calmer conversation. Another example would be a protest. Let's imagine that you take a pro-choice friend of yours to a protest on abortion. Now, a protest is just a really hard environment to have a calm conversation in because everything around you is working against you. So if this was your strategy to take your pro-choice friend to this protest and then try and have a calm conversation with them on abortion, you're just setting yourself up for failure with your approach. Now, the second reason that conversations become heated is because the pro-life person is provoking the pro-choice person. Now, sometimes this antagonizing is intentional, uh, but most of the times I've witnessed it, I would say that the antagonizing was actually subconscious. So what happens with a lot of new volunteers is they have this righteous anger about abortion. Maybe it's sadness, maybe it's anger. It's often both. And who can blame them? New volunteers in particular just cannot fathom how anyone could ever support something as horrific and evil as abortion. So when they meet a pro-choice person who's pro-choice and open about it, 
the temptation is just to want to scream at them and say, you know, are you out of your mind? Like, how could you possibly support this? Now, in my experience, though, if you're angry at someone for being pro-choice, you will antagonize them, whether it's intentionally or subconsciously, and that will escalate the conversation. Now, I think it's good to do some genuine soul searching on this. Ask yourself, you know, am I angry at pro-choice people because I'm angry about the injustice of abortion? Do I do things like call pro-choice people names because I think it's a good strategy or because I'm angry about the injustice the person I'm talking to is complicit in? And after you do that soul searching, if you determine that, yes, you are angry, welcome to the club. (laughs) I was 100% in your shoes when I first got into pro-life dialogue. And I think it's important that you don't beat yourself up about that anger. Like recognize that the anger is coming from a good place, but that it can hurt your ability to reach and persuade people. Now, in my experience, volunteers are often angry at pro-choice people because they don't really understand why people are pro-choice. Because once you learn the real reasons people are pro-choice, it becomes pretty easy to approach them in your conversations with kindness and compassion instead of aggression. Now, the first thing you have to understand about pro-choice people is that none of them think abortion kills a person. They are pro-choice because they think abortion prevents a baby from coming into existence, like a condom. If they thought it killed a baby, they would not support it. Furthermore, Most pro-choice people, and my unscientific estimation is is that this is like 75% of them, but most pro-choice people are pro-choice because they've never heard a compelling secular argument against abortion. And honestly, they've not really even thought about the abortion issue that much. It's not that they love abortion. It's that they've literally barely, if ever, thought about this issue, and they almost certainly have never heard a compelling reason to be pro-life. Now, this is often shocking to new volunteers because we tend to assume that everyone thinks like us. We assume, without even realizing it, that we expect our pet issues to be everyone's pet issues. But that's not true. Just because you, my wonderful podcast listener, have researched this issue a lot or maybe gone to a school or a church that talks about pro-life issues, that does not mean that that has been everyone's experience. And if you think about it, there are a lot of controversial issues in America today. They're the big issues like gun control, education, climate change, Palestine, immigration, drugs, Black Lives Matter, healthcare, and the list goes on and on. And then there are the current news issues that are controversial, like what the president said last week, or what country we have troops in, or something a big tech company is doing that's a little questionable. And the funny thing about the list that I just gave is that I picked those three examples without looking at the news. And I guarantee you, even though I wrote the notes for this podcast in December of 2021, I guarantee you, if you Google each of those things I just said, whatever day in the future it is that you are listening to this podcast, I guarantee that there will be some new controversial news on those topics and hundreds more like them. So that's my point is that there is a vast and ever growing number of things for people to have an opinion on in this country. And most people don't have the time or interest to keep up with and have well-informed opinions on all of those things. For most people, they have one or two issues that are important to them. 
that they stay informed on, and the rest, they resort to what I call default views. Now, sometimes those default views are a political party. If you're Republican, you default to the Republican side. If you're Democrat, you default to the Democrat side. Sometimes the default is just whatever the cultural norm is currently. And sometimes the default view is what I like to call a Switzerland middle ground approach. To illustrate this point, let's imagine a hypothetical controversial issue. The U.S. has just invaded Candyland. Yes, I picked a completely fictional place on purpose. Now, if someone came up to you on the street and asked you, you know, what do you think of the U.S. invasion of Candyland? You might say that you support it because knowing very little about the situation, you'd assume that if the military invades another country, it's for a good reason. Or you might say that you're against it because knowing very little about the situation, you generally think that the U.S. should stay out of other countries' affairs. Now, this is where the pro-choice person is at. You're asking them for their thoughts on the Candyland invasion, something they know next to nothing about. And then we get mad at them for not being on our side because we think there's some Candyland oppressing monster instead of recognizing that they're just not very knowledgeable on this issue. They don't know very much about what our side is saying. Now, sometimes pro-life people will come back to me with, but they shouldn't be uninformed. Now, if you think that people should not be uninformed on abortion, I want to challenge you to stop and consider how you first learned about the injustice of abortion. My guess is that someone, maybe a parent, teacher, youth pastor, someone came along and informed you on abortion. They let you know what was going on in this country and they sparked that fire in you to do something about it. But imagine if that person who first taught you about the injustice of abortion, instead of being inspirational and encouraging to you, imagine if they had just been frustrated when they first met you, you weren't automatically already on fire for life. You probably wouldn't be an activist today. Because the truth is, is that everyone is uninformed on a topic at some point. And unless you're a political junkie who just loves researching controversial issues all day, every day... Most of us stay uninformed until someone comes along and informs us. Now, personally, I am not a political junkie. Abortion is a controversial topic I'm an expert in. There are a couple other controversial topics I probably know more than the average person about. And then there's a lot of topics that if you asked me what I thought about them, I would probably shrug and give you a really surface level answer. Because for me personally, Keeping up with every and all controversial news topic is just not a hobby of mine. I got two kids. I don't have time for that. But I've met people throughout my life who were informed on topics that I was not. And instead of approaching me with anger that my default view didn't match theirs, they kindly explained to me their side. And many of times they changed my mind on the topic. Now, I had a volunteer once, though, who was annoyed. He was like, okay, But if people don't know what they think about the issue, why do they default to being pro-choice? Well, the answer is, is that for many people, pro-choice is viewed as the Switzerland middle ground approach. People want to be moderate on issues they haven't looked into a lot. And it sounds, at least from the pro-choice perspective, very moderate to say, well, I support abortion in some cases, but I'm opposed to it in others. Or... I'm personally against abortion, but I don't want to restrict other people who have different views than me. 
Now, these sentiments make zero sense from the pro-life perspective. It would be like saying, I'm opposed to infanticide most of the time, but if the mom's having a really hard day, she can kill her newborn. That's illogical. No one would ever say that. But the pro-choice person is not looking at the issue through the pro-life lens. They're looking at the issue through the current cultural lens, which is pro-choice. So they try and pick a middle-of-the-road Switzerland option to be their view. And what they end up doing is picking something that is actually neither middle-of-the-road or Switzerland at all without even realizing it. But this is great news because those people are super open to changing their mind because they're not pro-choice due to some intense personal experience or extreme belief. They're pro-choice because they just haven't thought about the issue very much. So if you do some soul searching and you find that you are struggling to keep your conversations calm because you're angry at pro-choice people, I want to challenge you to shift the pro-choice person in your mind. Because I found that when you shift people in your mind from baby killing monster to, hey, this is just a normal, busy person who hasn't looked into the abortion issue very much. I find that that mental shift alone just really takes the wind out of your anger. Now, if 75% of pro-choice people fall into this haven't thought about it camp, how do we not be angry at the 25% who have thought about it? Well, the first thing you need to remember is, once again, they do not think abortion kills someone. They don't. And in my experience, even the most extreme pro-choice advocate is typically approaching the issue from a place of misplaced compassion. Now, true story. When I was in college, I met a girl at a pro-life dialogue event I was hosting, and she was pro-choice, and she worked at Planned Parenthood. She was one of Planned Parenthood's interns, and she was an active part of the pro-choice movement in my city. And her and I became the most unlikely of friends. And I'm going to tell you right now, this girl is one of the kindest people I've ever met. She led the feminist club in college and helped raise awareness about sexual assault on campus. Our campus had this anonymous peer counselor program that she was a part of, and she would spend hours and hours talking to students who were struggling emotionally in school. And in general, she was just a very nice, open-minded person, and she worked at Planned Parenthood. She worked at Planned Parenthood because she was a compassionate person. She genuinely believed with every fiber of her being that she was helping women. She thought she was helping women who'd been assaulted. She thought she was helping women who needed STD testing. She thought she was helping women who were too poor to have children. She thought she was helping women by providing low-cost birth control and what she deemed to be necessary sex education. She 100% believed in Planned Parenthood's mission, and it all came from, in my opinion, misplaced compassion. So when I meet someone who's not just pro-choice, but a pro-choice advocate, I think of my friend. I think to myself, this is someone who really cares. They genuinely care about women They believe they are helping women. They are not a bad person. They just have really misplaced compassion. And when I look at them through that lens, I'm in the best frame of mind and emotional state to be able to reach them because we are not going to hate anyone into this movement. We're not going to hate anyone into the pro-life movement. We are going to love them into the pro-life movement. Now, I will admit, some pro-choice people are just legitimately evil, like Kermit Gosnell, the serial killer who murdered a bunch of newborn babies and pregnant women in cold blood, like just flat out evil. But I'd argue that that's probably less than 1% of the pro-choice population. 
But as pro-life people, we act like 99% of pro-choice people fall into this flat-out evil bucket. And when you realize that that's not true and you stop treating regular people like they're evil, you'll discover that they're a lot more willing to listen to what we have to say on the issue. So I know it sounds simple, but when you shift your view of the pro-choice person to a more accurate depiction, it just becomes a lot easier to stop subconsciously antagonizing them and to keep your conversations on this topic calm. Now, the third and final reason conversations don't stay calm is because the pro-life person lacks the tools to keep them calm. Abortion is a controversial issue. It's naturally touchy. So what I'm going to teach you in the next episode is some concrete tools and techniques you can use to help keep your conversations on abortion calm and therefore persuasive. So to recap, if you want to persuade a pro-choice person, you have to keep your conversations calm or the pro-choice person is going to be physically unable to really hear our seven-minute argument. Now, conversations tend to escalate for one of three reasons. The first is the strategy the pro-life person is using. Some strategies are just naturally upsetting. And I'm going to talk more extensively about strategies I've found to be upsetting um, in future episodes. So stay tuned for that. Uh, The second reason that conversations escalate is because the pro-life person is often subconsciously provoking the pro-choice person. Now, the solution to this is to change how you're thinking about the pro-choice person so that you can approach them with compassion in your conversations instead of aggression. And then the final reason that conversations escalate is because the pro-life person lacks the tools needed to keep a conversation calm. So this is what I'm going to be addressing in next week's episode. So if you feel like that's you, if you feel like I'm trying really hard to keep this conversation calm, but it still feels tense, well, tune in for next week because I'm going to teach you one concrete tool you can use in honestly, any controversial conversation. Like I get a lot of feedback from people that they use this tool in tense political conversations around Thanksgiving dinner or when talking to their family about religion or even you know they use it when they're talking to their spouse about whose turn it is to do the dishes. So I think you're going to find next week's tool will be very helpful, not just in your conversations on abortion, but in any and all controversial conversations. If you liked today's episode, you can help support the channel by leaving us a five-star review. Make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. And if you haven't yet, sign up for our podcast email list on our website. That's www.abortiondialogacademy.org slash podcast. That way you get all the training exercises from the show delivered right to your inbox. Now I will see all of you next Saturday as I continue to teach you how you can persuade someone to be pro-life in seven minutes. Until next week, God bless.